All right, well, hey, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome out here to the Medina East Campus. We're excited to have you on this Memorial Day weekend, like Steve mentioned just a moment ago. Thankful for, uh, for what we get to celebrate this weekend and uh, for, for those who have given themselves for our freedom. It's a huge, huge blessing and gift, and so we're thankful for that. But hey, we're really glad to have you here as we're actually continuing in a series today. This is the third week in a conversation we've been in that we've been calling Winning the Battle Within. And uh, if you're a guest with us here today, so if it's your first time at Grace, I want to extend a real, real special welcome to you. Thanks for being with us. We hope uh, that you get a chance to get connected here at Grace. We'd love to hear your story and how you got I got here this morning, but if you are just jumping in on the conversation, uh, welcome to the conversation. Let me just kind of maybe unpack for you a little bit of uh, the topic matter that we've been discussing. So basically what we've been doing in this series is we've been investigating this question together. uh, How do we become people that are more like thermostats and are less like thermometers? And uh, of course, if you're newer, that might sound real weird to you, but what we said is this. We said that as it relates to navigating through the circumstances of life, that there's really two ways you can do that, right? You can do that like a thermometer or you can do that like a thermostat. And so we said, you know, if you think about it, I think all of us know how those instruments work, but you know, a thermometer is an instrument that by design is designed in such a way that it always reflects and it always reacts to the external circumstances that it finds itself in, right? So a a thermometer by design is going to fluctuate based on whatever's happening around it. A thermometer is always at the mercy of the external circumstances that it finds itself in. And the other hand, we said, you think about a thermostat, we all kind of know how a thermostat works. We said a thermostat, on the other hand, is is an instrument that remains constant regardless of what the external climate might be. Like whether it's hot outside or it's cold outside or whatever, a thermostat is going to work off of a predetermined temperature and it is going to, to remain constant regardless of what's happening kind of outside of it. And so what we said is, we said, if you can understand that, we said there's really two ways that we can navigate through life. And we're saying, how do we become more like thermostats, right? So in other words, how do we become people who are not defined by or who are defeated by the circumstances that we face in life, right? How do we become people who don't just live at the mercy of the varying, you know, fluctuating circumstances we find ourselves in? How do we live in such a way that we're not at the mercy of those things, that, that we, you know, our lives are determined by, you know, how we are and who we are is determined by our circumstances. How do we instead become people who are more like thermostats, right? That, that regardless of what we're going through, whether it be good or bad or hard or difficult or turbulent or whatever it might be, how do we become people who remain strong in our convictions, in our character, in our conduct, even in the midst of trying and difficult and you know, fluctuating kind of circumstances. That's what we're sort of talking about here together in this conversation of winning the battle uh, within. And if you've been with us, you might remember we said that our approach in this conversation is that we've actually been studying a pretty famous character in the Bible. And so the, the story we've been looking at uh, is the story of a guy named Joseph. And if you're a person who grew up in the church or you're like a Bible person, my guess is you've probably heard his story. It's a pretty, pretty famous story. But the reason we're looking at the story of Joseph, we said, is because Joseph is a guy who really exemplifies what it looks like to be a thermostat, right? In the life of Joseph, what we've been finding is that Joseph, in his lifetime, experienced more fluctuating circumstances, more turbulent circumstances, more extremes than most people will experience in 10 lifetimes combined. And yet what's so fascinating about this guy, Joseph, is that regardless of what he's going through, he remains constant, right? His convictions stand firm. His character remains the same. His conduct is strong all throughout these circumstances he finds himself in. 
And so he, he kind of wins this battle regardless of what's happening outside of him. So the question we're asking is, man, how did he do it, right? How did he do this? And consequently, how do we do this? How do we become people who live in the same way? We're not a slave to our circumstances, uh, but that we can stay strong even within them and remain consistent in those things. So here's what we said in this series. We said that over the course of uh, the weeks that we're together, we're going to look at five internal perspectives. Joseph is going to teach us five internal perspectives that we said if we can get a hold of these internal perspectives, it will empower us to remain strong even in the midst of fluctuating circumstances. It will help us become thermostat people. So if you're with us last week, you might remember we started kind of looking at Joseph's story a little bit and we said uh, perspective number one was the perspective that we looked at. And we said Joseph was a man, we kind of found this last week, he was a man who is convinced that God is with me and he sees me. We said one of the reasons Joseph was able to remain consistent in his fluctuating circumstances was because he was a guy who was totally convinced, absolutely certain, that God was with him and God saw him. In other words, he was a man who believed God is present, he's not absent, and God is attentive, he is not inattentive. He cares and he's watching and he's with me. And we said that that empowered Joseph to live his life in a really, really powerful way. In fact, last week, if you were here, you might remember we asked this question to all of us. We said, what would somebody in your circumstances do who was totally convinced that this was true? What would someone in your current circumstances do if they were utterly confident that God was with them and that God saw them? Within it. And by the way, if you missed last week's conversation or the week before that, I would really encourage you to go back and check those out. You can, of course, download those on our website, on our app. Um, you can subscribe to our podcast. All of those are, of course, for free. We'd want you to do that. But today what we're going to do is I just want to pick up right where we left off last time, and I want to look at the second perspective, the second internal perspective. And so if you got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We're just going to go right back to the story. Genesis chapter 40 is where I want to ask you to go ahead and flip your Bibles. So go ahead and get them, open them up, and, uh, and meet me in Genesis chapter 40. By the way, uh, Genesis 40 is on page 29 in those Bibles that we have laid out there for you. So if you didn't bring a Bible and you need one, feel free to grab one of ours. And then let me just say too, if you don't own a Bible, like if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, we think it's super important that you have one. And so we would love for you just to take one of ours and make that a gift from us to you. Okay, so Genesis chapter 40, uh, go ahead and get there. We'll flip over there. Now, as you're finding Genesis 40, um, for those of us who follow Jesus, who would say that we're God followers in this room, and by the way, I know that's not everybody in this room. Some of you might still be investigating the whole God question. Maybe you're still trying to figure out the whole faith situation Maybe a friend brought you here today and you're like, I'm, I'm kind of open to things. I'm trying to figure that out and that's great. But for those of us who are Christ followers, who are God followers, I don't know if, if maybe you can kind of, uh, if you can kind of, you know, if this, if this resonates with you, but have you ever noticed that in times of life when circumstances are challenging, that in times of life when circumstances are uncertain or are difficult, that oftentimes it's in those times that we are the most inclined to acknowledge God and to recognize our dependency on him. Do you guys ever recognize that before? Do you ever notice that? That in times of life when things seem like they're kind of crumbling, when it's challenging and it's difficult and it's, and it's uncertain, like, like when there's a loss of a job or, or when you, you know, there's a big move that took place or when there's relational tension or there's a recent breakup that happened or whatever it might be, right? Like when something difficult happens or, or times are turbulent, it seems like there's a greater inclination in those moments to acknowledge, at least acknowledge, and even recognize our dependency on 
God. You've probably heard the old axiom, right? You guys have heard it before. There's no atheists in a foxhole. And I think that there's some element of truth to that, right? That when we find ourselves in difficult and trying circumstances, that oftentimes we are more inclined to acknowledge God and to even recognize our dependency on him. But I've also found, and my guess is you have too, the flip, is, the flip side is also true to that, that oftentimes in life, when there's times of success or times of prosperity, when, when circumstances seem to be going my way, that it's far easier to forget God, that it's far easier to not acknowledge God and to forget about my dependency on God, right? And it's like, you know, when, when the calves are uh, beating the raptors and they're sweeping them, like, it's a great time. I'm not, you know, I'm, everything's good. But when it's game seven to the Celtics, Cleveland is praying harder than they've prayed in a really long time, right? Did you ever notice how this, how this works out? There's a greater need to acknowledge our dependency on God. And here, here's what I found to be true. My guess is maybe you'd agree with this, that it is times of success and prosperity more than times of want and need that have a way of pulling us away from God. That oftentimes it's success and prosperity, even more than want and need in difficult circumstances that have a way of pulling us away from our recognition and our acknowledgement of God. Now, here's why I bring that up. Because today, as we pick up our story in Genesis chapter 40, what we're going to find in Genesis 40 and Genesis 41, we're going to kind of look at two chapters today. What we're going to find is that Joseph's circumstances are going to take a very dramatic turn. All right? And so if you've been with us, maybe you remember this. What we found so far in Joseph's story is that up to this point, Joseph's circumstances have went from bad to worse to even worse. His circumstances have descended so far in this story, right? So, so if you think about it, in Genesis 37, what did we see a couple weeks ago? We saw that Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers who hated him. That's a bad circumstance. Then we saw those same brothers who hated him, sold him into slavery, into Egypt. So things go from like bad for Joseph to like worse for Joseph. And then we watch that when he's in, in slavery in Egypt, he gets falsely accused for a crime he did not commit. He gets thrown in prison. And so for, so far in the story, it's just getting worse for Joseph. Like he's down at the bottom at this point in the story. And what's amazing, we looked at this last week, what's amazing is that through it all, Joseph acknowledges God, Joseph recognizes his dependency on God. Even though things are hard and difficult, Joseph is still remembering God. He's still crying out to God. He's still trusting God. But here's what we're gonna find today. We are gonna find that Joseph's circumstances are going to take a dramatic turn in the opposite direction. And we're gonna watch Joseph go from the pit and the prison to the palace. And we're gonna watch Joseph go from the very bottom to the very top. We're gonna watch him go from the extreme low to the extreme high. And, and, and what we're gonna see, and, and of course, you, this is what we've been talking about the whole series, what we're gonna see is that even though Joseph is gonna experience an incredible fluctuation in his circumstances, he's gonna remain the same in his character, in his conduct, in his convictions. And so how did he do it? Well, I think that's where the second perspective comes in. So let's jump in the story. I'll show you what I'm talking about. We'll start off in verse one. Genesis chapter 40, verse one. Let's jump right in. So it says this, sometime later, all right, let's just pause there. Didn't get very far so far, but sometime later, the Bible says, now, let me just mention real fast here. It might appear that the time between Genesis chapter 39 and the, the time between Genesis chapter 40 is a very short amount of time, right? That not much time has elapsed because those chapters sit right next to each other. But in reality, when you actually do the math on this, there's about a decade's worth of time 
that elapses between Genesis chapter 39 and Genesis chapter 40. Okay, so about 10 years, just about 10 years have passed between Genesis 39 and Genesis chapter 40. This whole time, for 10 years, Joseph has been languishing in prison for something he did not do, all right? 10 years, about a decade here. All right, watch this. So sometime later, the Bible says, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. All right, so let's just explain this a little bit. So the author comes in and he introduces us to a couple new characters. And the two new characters he introduces us to are the cupbearer and the baker. Now, let me just mention something about these two guys uh, because I think it's kind of important to understand their position. So these guys, cupbearer and baker, they actually had a very, very, very substantial role uh, as it related to working with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. I think it's important that we understand that these guys were not just food service workers. Okay, that's not what they were. Uh, to be a cupbearer and to be a baker, this was a very uh, highly esteemed, trustworthy position. And the reason was because these two guys were in charge of testing and approving and tasting everything that was put before Pharaoh. So anything that Pharaoh was gonna eat or drink or ingest, it had to be tested and tasted and approved by these two guys. Now, the reason this is so huge is because back in this time, the threat of assassination attempts through poisoning of food and drink was very real and was very constant. And so if you wanted to kill Pharaoh, the way that you would do that, if you wanted to assassinate him, is you'd poison his food, you'd poison his drink. Happened all the time back in these times. And so you had to have a cupbearer and you had to have a baker basically to take the bullet for you, right? Which by the way, how would you like to have that job? How would you like that job, right? Like high turnover rate. It's like, just, it just takes one mistake and you're, you're just gone. So, so anyway, these guys are in prison, the Bible says, because uh, they offended their master, the king of Egypt. So look at this, Pharaoh was angry with the two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. So Pharaoh was angry with them. He was offended with them. Now, why was Pharaoh mad with these two guys? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Um, but uh, I think we could probably speculate a little bit. Chances are good. My, my thought is maybe Pharaoh got sick. Maybe he, you know, he got food poisoning or something, and, and, and he was you know, feeling sick, and he's, you know, he's Pharaoh. So he's looking to blame someone, so he looks at these two guys. Maybe that's what happened. I, I don't know why he's mad. Maybe they made him something that was gluten-free, and he got upset, or I don't, maybe they ordered Chipotle and they forgot the guac, which to me, that is a felony. So maybe that's what, I don't know, he's mad. But because he's Pharaoh, I just want you to see this. This is how powerful Pharaoh is. He does, you do something to offend him, you do something he doesn't like, he just throws you in prison. Just throws both of these guys in prison. That's what the Bible says. Now watch this. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. So they're under Joseph's direction and under his care. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. So they went to bed that night, and they both had a dream. Look at this. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him as master's house, why do you look so sad today? So apparently these guys had some bad dreams. Right? They went to bed at nighttime, they woke up and their dreams troubled them. And so they, they couldn't hide their countenance. The Bible says they were sad and they were dejected. So Joseph recognizes this, right? But Joseph says, what's the matter with you guys? And look at this. We both had dreams, they said. There's no one to interpret them. And then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? So tell me your dreams. 
So, so, that, so Joseph says, why are you guys so upset? Why are you so sad? And they said, we had these dreams, and man, they're troubling, and we don't know what they mean, and we need someone to interpret them for us, and we just don't, we don't get what, what, what they mean. And so Joseph says to him, he says, well, hey, interpretations belong to God. He says, and I got good news for you. I happen to know God. So why don't you tell me your dreams? Why don't you tell them to me, and I'll see if I can help you in this situation. So here's what happens next. I'll kind of summarize for, for time's sake. The, the, uh, the cupbearer goes first. And the cupbearer tells Joseph about his dream. He's got this weird dream. It involves uh, vines and three branches. And in his dream, he's holding the cup of the king, the drinking cup of the king. And he, he wakes up. He doesn't understand the dream. And so Joseph hears it and he says, oh, I, I, I know exactly what that dream means. God has helped me understand what that means. And here's what he says. He says, that dream means this. I got good news for you. You are going to be fully restored back to your position as the cupbearer to the king. Within three days, three days, you're going to be out of this prison and you're going to be back where you were before, back to the job that you've been doing before. I got great news for you. And the cupbearer heard it and he's like, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you so much. And then I want you to notice what Joseph says, if you bounce down to verse 14. Joseph said, but when all goes well with you, to the cupbearer, he's like, when you finally get out of here, because you're on your way out of the prison in three days, that's what your dream means, right? He says, when, when you get out of here, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. And so the Bible actually tells us Joseph was not okay with the circumstances that he found himself in, right? He says, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being in a dungeon. So he looks at the cupbearer, he says, hey, if you get out of here, when you get out of here in three days, please remember me. Mention me to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's a powerful dude. He can get me out of this circumstance. <laughs> Watch this next part. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that Pharaoh had given a favorable interpretation, right, so the chief baker saw that it worked well for the cupbearer, he's like, well, it worked good for him. He's like, maybe I'll have Joseph interpret my dream. So he goes over to Joseph. He says to Joseph, I had a dream too. He says, on my head, there was these three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. It's a pretty good dream so far, right? A basket on your head full of baked goods. It sounds all right to me. Pastries, bear claws, all that kind of stuff. It's on my head. It means it's closer to my mouth. I like this dream, right? So he has this dream going on. And then he says, for Pharaoh, he says, but then the birds were eating them out of the basket. These birds kept coming down and eating the pastries and the good stuff out of the basket. It's a weird dream. You guys know how dreams are. And then watch Joseph's interpretation. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole and the birds are going to eat your flesh. To which I'm sure the baker was like, wow, I guess I should have went first. All right, he's probably thinking, you could have softened the blow a little bit there, buddy. I mean, just straight out with it. You know, the, the birds eating your flesh is a little bit much there. So anyway, this is what happens. Check this out in verse 20. Now, the third day was, now get this, it was Pharaoh's birthday. All right, so this is Pharaoh's birthday and Pharaoh gave a feast for all of his officials. So I, I think this is kind of comical. It's Pharaoh's birthday. Pharaoh decides to have a birthday party for himself. Happy birthday to me. Gets all the officials, all the who's who's to come to his birthday party. All right, now, now watch this. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of the officials. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, this has got to be 
the weirdest birthday party ever. So it's, 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 you know, it's Pharaoh's birthday and everyone's hanging out. And I don't know, maybe there's some gifts exchanged and all that kind of stuff. And Pharaoh's like, you know what I want for my birthday? You know what I want? Bring in the cupbearer, bring in the baker. It's my birthday. I'm feeling good. Let's restore you back to your job. Let's chop off your head and impale him. That's what I want for my birthday. And I just can't, can you guys imagine coming home from that birthday party? Like you're attending, like you're, someone's like, hey, how was Pharaoh's party? And you're like, you know what? Gotta be honest, it got real weird. Like it, <laughs> it started off good. And I mean, the cake was good. And then like, it got real weird real quick. Kind of got dark and twisted. Like, can you imagine this? And here's what I think is going on here. I think that the author is trying to help us understand. And I want you to understand this too. The unaccountable power that Pharaoh had. Right? Pharaoh was at this time the most powerful person in the ancient world. He could just do what he wanted. He didn't like you, he could, just, he could just kill you. You offended him, he could throw you in prison. If he liked you, he could give you your job back. He could just do whatever he wanted to do. Powerful, powerful guy, All right? Now watch this. The Bible says the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He forgot him. I don't know how this took place. I mean, but the Bible says once the cupbearer got back in his position, he just totally forgot about Joseph, totally forgot about him. And then look at this. When two full years passed, Two full years, Joseph continues to languish in prison. And the Bible says that Pharaoh has a dream. Now, Pharaoh has a dream. Now, I'll just kind of summarize Pharaoh's dream for you too. So Pharaoh actually has two dreams, and they're both pretty strange. So the first dream he has, he has this dream that there's these seven healthy cows that are uh, grazing by the Nile River. And in his dream, these seven kind of, you know, gangly, sickly-looking cows, skinny cows, come out of the water, and they eat the seven healthy cows. It's a bizarro dream. Pharaoh wakes up. He's like, ooh, that was a weird dream. I must have had some chorizo last night. That wasn't so good. That was my second Chipotle reference in one sermon. That must be a subliminal message, right? So, so then he goes back to bed. He has a second dream. In the second dream, he, the Bible says that he sees these seven healthy heads of grain, and he says that these seven healthy heads are devoured by these seven unhealthy, scorched heads of grain. It's a weird, weird, weird dream. Pharaoh wakes up. He's like, I don't get it. That is so weird. I had the same dream kind of twice. It's, it's disturbing him. So the Bible says what Pharaoh does is he gathers together all of the wise people in the region, all of the Egyptian magicians and the mystics. And he says, you guys got to help me figure out what this means. And so he tells them the dream. None of them can figure it out. Nobody can help Pharaoh. And so after all this takes place, I want you to notice this in verse nine. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. So, so the cupbearer's like, oh my gosh, I knew I was forgetting something. Joseph, Joseph, that guy that got me out of prison. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about him? I remember. And so verse 10, Pharaoh was once angry with his servants and he imprisoned me and the chief cupbearer in the house of the captain of the guard. So he says, Pharaoh, you remember, uh, it was like two years ago, Pharaoh, do you remember when you were offended with me and you threw me in prison? Which by the way, it was totally the right move. I don't disagree with it at all. Thank you, in fact, for doing that. But you remember how, how you did that? And Pharaoh would have been like, mm-hmm, yes, I remember that. And he says, well, uh, each one of us, we had a dream that same night when we were in prison. And each of, it had a, each of our dreams had a meaning of its own. Now, there was this young Hebrew, there was this young Jewish guy, and he was there with us. He was a servant of the captain of the guard. And he says, and this guy, man, we told him our dreams. He interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was impaled. So he says, man, this guy, I'm telling you, we were in prison. We told him our dreams. Things happened exactly like he said. 
I've never met anyone like this guy in my life. So Pharaoh hears about this and immediately Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So you couldn't stand before Pharaoh if you were dirty or whatever. So he had to, get, you know, they had to clean him up and you know, shave his beard off and all, get him in front of Pharaoh. And now I want you to watch this next part. This is so huge. I want you to watch what happens next. Verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, okay, so get this scene in your mind for a minute. Joseph is now standing in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the known world at this time, all right? And look what Pharaoh says to Joseph. This is just wild. He says, I had a dream. Nobody can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear of a dream, that you can interpret it. Now, I just want you to take a second here before we dig into this a little bit. And I just want you to notice the, the language that Pharaoh uses here. This is very important, okay? Notice what he says. I had a dream. No one, nobody can help me. No one can help me interpret this. No one, no one is, can, can you, but I have heard that you are the one for the job. And do you notice three times Pharaoh says, I've heard that you can do this. I heard that you're the one for the job. I've heard that you're the man. I heard that you got the skill. No one can help me right now, but I guess I've heard that it is you, that you can. Now, now here's the thing, all right? Before we look at Joseph's response, before we see what Joseph says here, I wanna just pause for a minute and I wanna get the full gravity of what's going on here, all right? So I want you to, if you would just for a moment with me, I want you just to think through with me Joseph's circumstances in this moment, Okay, so what are Joseph's, what do we know about Joseph's circumstances in this moment? Well, here's what, we, here's what we know, okay? First off, we know that Joseph has been falsely accused and he has been imprisoned for over a decade, all right? He's been languishing in prison for over a decade at this point because of something he didn't do. Now, I want you just to, to think about that for a minute. Imagine 10 years of your life, imagine that. And not just any 10 years, imagine your 20s robbed from you because of a false accusation and you're finding yourself, in, imagine that. He's been sitting there wasting away in prison, right? This next thing, he's been forgotten and he's been abandoned. The Bible says the cupbearer forgot about him, just totally forgot him. For two years, Joseph's sitting there saying, when, when's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? Not happening. On top of all of this, Joseph is currently standing in front of the most powerful leader in the ancient world. Joseph, Joseph finds himself in a situation that he is standing before the man who, if he does not like you, he can kill you. He, but if he likes you, he can completely and utterly change your circle. With, with one word, Joseph's destiny can change in one direction or another. He is standing in front of the most powerful person in the known world at this time, right? And on top of all of this, here's what we know about Joseph's circumstances. Pharaoh has a need and Joseph has a gift. Pharaoh has a need. Pharaoh says, nobody can help me. But Joseph has a gift. Joseph is saying, man, I, he, you know, Pharaoh's saying, you can do that. I've heard that you're the man that could do the job. And I heard that you're the one. Now, I just want you to think about this for a minute. All of Joseph's circumstances in this moment are looking in his, they're all going in his direction. Right? This, is, this is for Joseph, man. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. 
This is that moment that Joseph knows, man, I've been waiting for this and I've been waiting for this and now I'm standing in front of the one person who can actually change my circumstance and he's got a need and I've got what he needs and this is that, this is that once in a lifetime moment where, man, you can't blow it. You don't blow this opportunity. You gotta get it right because this isn't happening again. This is that moment, right? And I want you to notice there's one other thing I didn't mention here, one other small little detail that's kind of significant and that's this. Pharaoh kind of thinks he's God. And I don't mean that like in a, oh, you just, you just act like you think you're God. I don't mean it like that. I mean, no, like he really thinks he's God. In fact, that was actually part of Egyptian theology back in this time. Egyptian theology basically believed that pharaohs were part divinity, part humanity. They believed that pharaohs were the, the link between humans and God. That was what they believed. And so, uh, so Egyptians would treat pharaohs like gods because they believed that they were gods. And pharaohs, after they would die, were considered to become full deity. They would become totally gods. So Pharaoh, in this moment, and those officials who were around him all had this understanding that Pharaoh, well, Pharaoh is kind of like God. Now, now here's the issue. All of this presents a very big dilemma to Joseph because here's the dilemma. Pharaoh, who thinks he's God, looks at Joseph and says, I have a need, and I understand you're the guy who could help me. You're the one who can do this for me. You're the one who can get me out of the situation and help me interpret my dream. You, you, you. See, and the problem with this is this rubs directly against Joseph's belief and Joseph's conviction. We talked about this last week. Joseph is a man of conviction. Joseph is not an Egyptian. He, he believes in the gods of his fathers. He believes in the God of the Bible. And because of that, Joseph is a man who believes that everything he has has been given to him by God. Every gift he has, every opportunity he has is because God is the one who has granted it to him. So here's Pharaoh looking at him saying, you, you, you. And jo that, would have, that would have graded right against Joseph's core beliefs and Joseph's core convictions. Now here's the thing. I think that all of us have been in a circumstance like this before. And if you haven't, you probably will be in a circumstance. You guys know what I'm talking about? This circumstance, the circumstance where you're standing in front of an intimidating person or intimidating people or that group of, and they're influential and they're intimidating. And in that moment, when, you know, it's that boss or it's that, you know, family member or it's that peer group or it's that, you know, that one friend and they're influential and they're intimidating. And, and, and in that moment, you find that, man, there's a big temptation just to become whatever they want you to become and to say whatever they want to hear you say. Did you ever notice, you ever been in a moment like that? You're in front of someone, that, that peer group, that person, that boss, you know, that, they, they wanna make you partner. And you're sitting, you've been waiting for this moment, man. And you, you know, you're the rising star in your company and now the opportunity comes up and you're sitting in front of this group of people. Man, they are, they are powerful people. And now all of a sudden, something is said or something is done and it grades against one of your convictions or one of your beliefs and all of a sudden you feel the temptation to become whatever they want you to become or to say whatever it is that they wanna hear. And why is it, by the way, in those circumstances, why is it that in those situations we find ourselves most inclined to jettison our values? Why is it that in those moments we find the greatest temptation to change who we are to punt on our character, 
to acquiesce our convictions to whatever the circumstance demands? Why is it that in those moments we find the temptation to do that? Did you ever find that? I found that to be true. But what does Joseph do? What does Joseph do? Well, I want you to notice this because this is just amazing. His response is just epic. Watch this. This is great. This is Joseph's response. Verse 16. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. So how great is this? Pharaoh's like, I heard that you're the man for the job. You can do this. I pulled you up out of prison to get you here in front of me because I heard you can do the job. And Joseph looks at Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. He says, no, sorry, man, can't do it. Not the man for, I don't know what you heard about me. I don't know what someone said about me. I can't do it. You brought me up here for nothing. You cleaned me up. You got me up here. I can't do it. Not the man for the job. But notice this. This is gutsy. But God, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And Joseph says, I can't do it. Can't do it, Pharaoh. But God, but God can help you in this circumstance, to which I am sure all of the officials in the room at that moment went, wrong answer, Hebrew boy. You don't tell the guy who thinks he's God that he needs God, the real God, to help him out. And my guess is all of the officials in the room at that moment, my guess is all of them were on edge because they knew Pharaoh, they knew what he was capable of doing, And they heard Joseph, this guy who they just pulled up from prison, and he's standing in front of Pharaoh saying, Pharaoh, you need need the real God to help you with this. And they're probably looking and like, what is Pharaoh going to do? I mean, I'll tell you, this is crazy. What What gives Joseph the confidence and the power and the strength to say something like this in front of the most powerful man in the world. Now, by the way, I think when Joseph said this, I don't think he was arrogant or boastful or pushy or anything like that. I, don't, I think he probably said this with gentleness and respect. He's just being honest. He says, Pharaoh, I can't, I can't, I can't help you, but, but God can help you here. What gives him the courage to do that? Well, here's what I believe. I believe that what empowers Joseph to do this is because he had an internal perspective. He believes something in himself. And here's what it is. If you're taking notes, here's the second internal perspective I think Joseph teaches us. I think it's this. I think Joseph was a man who was convinced. God is with me and he sustains me. What empowered Joseph to respond to Pharaoh the way he did? Well, here's what I think it is. I think Joseph was a man who was completely convinced God is with me, God is with me, and God is the one who sustains me. In other words, God is the one who provides for me. God is the one who determines my future. My destiny is in his hands. And I know it might appear in this moment, Pharaoh, that you're the most powerful person. And I know it might appear in this moment that my future is in your hands, Pharaoh. And I know at this moment, it might seem that you're the one who determines my destiny. But Joseph believed, no, 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 God is with me, the real God. And he is the one who holds my future in his hands. Not you, not any person. And so Joseph is able to respond in this way where he responds to God rather than the circumstances that he finds in front of him. And how easy would it have been for Joseph, by the way? How easy would it have been for him just not to bring up God at all? It would have been so easy for him to just be like, you know what, uh, you know, God, I needed you when I was in the pit and I needed you when I was in the prison. But now that everything seems to be going my way, quite honestly, God, I don't need you right now. In fact, you're actually gonna hurt the situation. 
How easy would it have been for him just to compartmentalize God and say, well, God, you know, this is, I'm good now. Thank you very much for helping me before. But right now, I kind of just, I'm gonna take care of this on my own. I'll see you on Sunday at church. How easy could it have been for Joseph to do that? Jettison his vow. How easy could it have been for Joseph to manipulate his circumstances to work to his advantage and the desired outcome that he wanted? So easy to do that, but he doesn't. And why doesn't he do it? Well, I think it's because he believes this. God's with me. He sustains me. I think Joseph was a man who believed stuff like this. Like in Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? What do, you, what do we have that hasn't been given to us by God? Every breath, every gift, everything. And he says, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? See, I think Joseph believes stuff like this. I think Joseph believed everything I have has been given to me by God. And so Pharaoh's trying to credit me with something that I can't take credit for. I think Joseph believed stuff like this. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So I think he believed that. I think, I think Joseph was a man who believed, Pharaoh, you don't hold my destiny in your hands. You don't hold my future in my hands. God does. And so because of that, I can live in response to him instead of out of fear for you. So here's what happens next. Actually, the Bible tells us it's kind of interesting. The Bible says what happens is Pharaoh then tells Joseph his dream, and Joseph then goes on to interpret his dream. And by the way, you'll have to read it on your own. It's pretty crazy. When Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream five times, he acknowledges God, five times. He says, here's what God's trying to tell you. God has established, God has determined. This is the meaning that God has given to you five times. He is just very clear. And here's the interpretation. He says, here's what's gonna happen, Pharaoh. It's gonna be seven years of famine, or it's gonna be seven years of prosperity. It's gonna be followed up by seven years of famine. He says, basically, seven years, things are gonna go really good. Seven years, it's gonna be really, really bad. And then what Joseph does next, this is just insane. Joseph actually takes it a step further, and he goes on to give Pharaoh advice, which Pharaoh never asked for. And Joseph says, so here's what I think you ought to do, Pharaoh, you know, because I know what I'm talking about. So here's what I think you ought to do, Pharaoh. I think what you need to do is you need to hire somebody, real smart guy, I think you need that person to store grain for you for the next seven years. They need to administer it, you know, they need to administer all of this kind of stuff, get it all set up, store grain for seven years so that when the seven years of famine come, you can equally distribute that among the nation. He says, that's what I think you should do. So Joseph gives his presentation to Pharaoh and then I'm sure everyone in the room is waiting to see what Pharaoh's gonna say. Watch what Pharaoh says, check this out. Verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to his officials. The officials were probably like, whatever sounds good to you, Pharaoh, sounds good to us. That's probably what they were like, right? So Pharaoh asked them, this is a great question, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? How cool is this? Here, Pharaoh recognizes there is something different about this guy. There is something different about his character. There's something different about his convictions. This guy has strength. He has confidence. See, Pharaoh recognized what Potiphar recognized, what the prison warden recognized, and that's that there is something different about this guy. He's got a spirit about him. The spirit of God was in him. He is unshakable. He is like a thermostat. It don't even matter who. How would you like that to be said of you? How freeing would it be to live that way? And wherever you go, whoever you're with, no matter who it is, whether you're in the prison or whether you're in the palace, whether you're before the prison warden or whether you're before Pharaoh himself, that you remain consistent in your convictions, that you're the same person, free from the fear of other people and their opinion of you. How would that, how, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be a great way to live? Wouldn't that be a freeing and liberating? You can live that way. 
You can. It's just a matter of remembering and pursuing. God is with me. God is with me. He sustains me. And he sustains me. So check this out. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, I like this, by the way, Pharaoh understands now. He says, since God has made this. So he says, oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was you, but it's actually God. Since God has made this known to you, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. You're gonna be in charge of my palace. And all my people are gonna submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So I love this. Pharaoh's like, let's just be clear. I'm still Pharaoh. He's like, but you're gonna be in charge of everything in my kingdom. You know, I've known you for, what is it, five minutes now? You're in charge of everything now. And this is the kind of power Joseph ha- or, uh, Pharaoh has. Look at this, verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger. He put it on Joseph's finger. It was a sign of power and authority. I think this is interesting. The Bible says he dressed him in robes of fine linen. If you've been with us in the story, you might remember every, every time Joseph has a robe put on him, it's stripped off of him so far in the story. This is the first time he has a robe put on him. And then the Bible says they put a gold chain around his neck. I can't help but just think of Flavor Flav there. I don't know. Any takers? That's all I can think of. Okay. Watch this. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And so the Bible says that Joseph goes from the lowest of the low in prison to being the second most powerful person in the empire. This amazing transformation of circumstances that happens in Joseph's life. And the crazy thing is this, the Bible's gonna tell us what happens after this is Joseph takes this position and he begins to administrate the plan. And you know what Joseph does? You know what Joseph does? Rather than abusing his power and and using his wealth to spend on himself, the Bible says that Joseph does what he always did. He serves. He he uses his gifts and abilities to serve those who are around him. He remains consistent in his character, consistent in his conduct, consistent in his convictions, no matter where he goes. And you know what's really crazy is the Bible tells us by the end of this chapter, Joseph turns 30 years old. 30 years old. Now, I want you to think about that. When we first met Joseph, when he was sold into slavery, he was 17. He's 30 now. 13 years. 13 years of waiting, of waiting to see if God would be faithful. And listen, we, and we, we pray that God changes our circumstances. If it doesn't happen in two weeks, we're like, well, he must not be listening. I give up, right? 13 years. Joseph remained strong and patient, trusting God. And then he sees it happen. This deliverance take place. Now, here's the thing. I think we gotta be real careful at this point not to falsely conclude that the moral of the story is that if we obey God and listen to him and acknowledge him, that we're going to be rich and powerful. I don't think that's the moral of the story. In fact, we're gonna talk about in weeks to come, there's actually a much bigger story that's being told through this story. We're gonna talk about that here in a couple of weeks. But I think the real moral of the story as we see it today is this. Joseph is the same wherever he goes. And whether he's in prison or whether he's in the palace, whether it's in front of Pharaoh, whether it's in front of the church warden, he's just the same. His convictions and his character remain true. And the reason is because he is a person who is firmly convinced God is with me and he sees me, God is with me and he sustains me. That empowers him to be a thermostat in the circumstances that he finds himself in. That's the band to come up and as they make their way up, I, I wanna just kind of, close our time out by just having you consider one final question, and that's this. We look at this perspective. God is with me, and he sustains me. Here's the question I want you to consider. What would change in your current circumstances if you believe that this was true? 
What would change in your circumstances if you had this perspective? Man, God is with me. He provides for me. He sustains me. How would that change the way that you interact in, in the circumstances you find yourself in right now? Man, God provides for me. He says that my future and my destiny is held in his hands. Well, what would it look like if, if even this week, before you walked into that meeting, before you walked into that job interview, before you walked into that family setting where that person's in that friend group where, where you always feel the temptation to just to punt on your character, to punt on your convictions. What if in that circumstance, before you even walked in to hang out with that group of friends, what if you just prayed, God, you're with me and you sustain me. God, you're with me and you're the one who provides for me. You're the one who gives me what I need. And so Lord, help me in this moment to, to stay strong to what I believe to be true. What could change in your circumstance if you just had that quick perspective change in that moment? See, because here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe God wants to use you. I believe he wants to use you just like he used Joseph. He wants to use you at work. He wants to use you in your family. He wants to use you in your neighborhood. Just like he used Joseph, I think he wants to use you. And it's a wonderful thing when, he, when you get to experience that. But here's the truth. God will never be able to do that. He'll never be able to do that. If we find ourselves acquiescing to, if we find ourselves folding on the things that we're convicted about, the things that matter the most, our character and those things. And so will we stand? Will we acknowledge God? Even in time, will we acknowledge him even in times when it's not to our advantage to do so? We say, man, God is the one who's with me. Speak boldly, not arrogantly, but speak boldly. Speak honestly, not pushy, but just be honest. That's God, that's God. I can't take credit for that, that's God. God is the one who's, God is the one who's provided for me. And in times of success, I can acknowledge him. I can claim him. Let's pray together. Well, God, I just wanna say thank you so much uh, for the true reality that you are with us and that you do sustain us. We don't, we don't have a thing that we have that's not given to us by you. We don't have every, every breath we have, the energy that you've provided for us, God, the gifts and abilities that we have, the opportunities that you've provided, it's all you. And so because of that, Father, I pray that you would help our prosperity and our success in, in the good things that are happening in our life. Help, help those things not to blind us from our dependency on you. We need you. Every moment we need you. It's easier sometimes when things are turbulent and rocky to recognize and acknowledge the, our dependency. The truth is we're dependent on you right now. We need you, God, every moment. So I pray, Jesus, would you help us? Would you embolden us and give us courage that in moments where we feel the temptation to become what someone else wants us to become, to say what someone else wants us to say, Father, help us to remain strong in the convictions and the faith that you've given us for those who have followed Jesus. And so God, I pray that as a result of today's conversation that we would live differently. We don't just gather here to acquire more information, but God, we, we gather here to seek after life transformation. We wanna be different. We wanna live different. And I believe that Joseph shows us a path forward of a way that we can live because of your grace and because of your love. So help us, God, to live in light of this reality. You sustain us. You provide for us. Our future is in your hands. We trust you with this. We ask it in Christ's name.